Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Islam for Christians, episode 90, Quran, Surah 94, Ash Shar, The Relief. Have we not uplifted your heart for you, O Prophet, relieved you of the burden which weighed so heavily on your back and elevated your renown for you? So surely with hardship comes ease. Surely with that hardship comes more ease. So once you have fulfilled your duty, strive in devotion, turning to your Lord alone with hope. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad al-Ghamdi. ألم نشرح لك صدرك ووضعنا عنك وزرك الذي أنقض ظهرك ورفعنا لك ذكرك فإن مع العسر يسرا إن مع العسر يسرا فإذا فرغت فانصب وإلى ربك فارغب this is a surah from the dark times, from the hard times of Muhammad's life. The time few were listening and many were mocking him. And there would be even more difficulty ahead. So what we have here is a message of consolation to Muhammad. But it's even more than that, because the first part is addressed to Muhammad. But the second half, it actually sounds more universal something that is addressed to humans in general, to anyone striving to stay on the righteous path and encountering severe opposition, which actually makes it more timeless. And then at the end, there's a promise that things will ease. Things are going to get easier. But then comes a sort of directive to never let up, to always keep your foot on the gas, to always have fervor for religion to always keep your sight on the Lord. Really, same thing any mystic would do, and, and certainly any prophet would do. But let's go back to the beginning. The Quran here is telling Muhammad directly that he should remain positive. And of course, things are not ideal at this point. But look, Muhammad, he's being told, Look at what you have been given. Look at how far you have come. Look at the burden and the burdens that we have removed. Now, the biggest mystery in this surah, really, is what specific burden is being referenced here. Now, some think it's his burden of previous sin or normal difficulties of the human heart. And you should remember that there is a legendary story of a child Muhammad having his heart cleansed by Gabriel, which certainly jumps to mind when you read the Arabic, which says literally, we expanded your breast. The verb for expanded, the verb root neshara, which means to spread or open, but also to hoist or to uplift. It says, we opened up or lifted up. And what did we lift up? Sadarika. The ka at the end just means your, your sadr. That's the important word, sadr. That means your chest or 
your heart and all the words that come with that, your thoughts and desires and true self, your heart, which is actually very similar to the English usage of that term. It is the very center of a person's being. Now, that Arabic word sadr might sound familiar to some people because it is the same name used by Muqtada al-Sadr, the famous Shia cleric in Iraq. Not that it's a title. I think it's just a family name, but I do like to connect some of the dots whenever possible. Although al-Sadr was actually the title given to the uh, grand viziers in the old Ottoman Empire. It was kind of like a prime minister, you know, the heart of the empire the solder. Anyway, so opening up the chest, just as Islamic lore says was done literally as a child to Muhammad, that Gabriel took his chest out of him and cleansed it and then put it back. Um, it kind of reminds me of those sacred heart pictures of Jesus, you know, but only the heart is being made pure instead of something that is just by nature eternally pure. So Muhammad's heart, is that the reference? Is that the burden? Quite possible. But I think an even simpler explanation is just, in general, everything that God had done for him up to this point. And in my opinion, a better one. Now, next time we'll be doing Surah 93 which is sometimes believed to be the same as Surah 94, that they used to be together. And in that one, God mentions how Muhammad was an orphan, how he was poor. But look at him now. Difficulty gave way to ease. And he was an orphan and God gave him a parent. He was poor, God found him a rich wife. And even better, Muhammad did not know God, and now he does. And Muhammad is being promised here that this pattern will continue. And it certainly works from our vantage point all the way here in the future, because we know, looking back, that this pattern actually did continue for Muhammad. Now, there is the small problem that the burden here, uh, the word for burden, is being used in the singular, not in the plural. It clearly says Wazaraka, not Azaraka. You know, your burden, not your burdens. The root word here is wizard, which can mean a burden, but it can mean a sin or a crime too. So it's singular. And if we're connecting this to Sora 93, keep in mind that that particular Sora is talking about multiple burdens, worldly burdens for the most part. So if Surah 94 was referencing Surah 93 and its many burdens, would it not use the plural form of burden? But it doesn't. So extra points to the singular burden theory. So we're still talking about Muhammad's burden here. Does that mean that the Gabriel incident is a bit more credible, you know, as this sort of singular event? God pulling open Muhammad's ribcage and cleansing his heart. In that case, the burden would be sin. But it could just as easily mean that God had uplifted his heart. 
as Mustafa Kitab translates uh, in my reading at the beginning. Now, other translations of this part are more literal. The opening of the breast, which adds extra mystery to this. And really, either interpretation works. Muhammad was removed of the burden of normal human hearts. Or, like the theory I lean toward, it's about God's constant grace to Muhammad over the years. And just honestly, choose one. Really, one guess is as good as the other. My opinion really isn't any better than others. Because if generations of Quranic scholars can't agree on this, who am I to say which one is correct? Who is anyone really to say what is correct? Except, you know, Muhammad, maybe. Either way, the message is that God has prepared you for what is to come. He did it for Muhammad. He will do it for us. And it reminds me of something Jesus said that in many ways is actually the exact same theme of this surah. Now, here's this gem. It's from Matthew. This is chapter 6, uh, 25 to 33. This story is in Luke 2, but I'm kind of a Matthew guy. So here's Matthew. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they are? You know, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Consider how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was adorned like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or, What shall we drink? Or, What shall we wear? For the Gentiles strive after these things. Sometimes he says the pagans strive after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus is saying, don't worry. God has this. He knows what he's doing. He loves you and will take care of you. So just focus on striving toward righteousness. Seek first the kingdom. That's what truly matters. So much of hardship is in our minds because we forget how God has delivered us before. I've seen the same pattern in my own life. It's extraordinary, really. But as soon as things get hard, what do I do? I worry like crazy and lament the situation. Now, how stupid is that? But it's a human thing. We forget the pattern. It's natural. The Quran is telling Muhammad, specifically, and also the whole community of believers, not to do that, not to worry. And even more than that, they are being instructed to never let up. Even when you think your duty is actually done, you have to keep your eyes on the prize, which is, God 
and the afterlife. Now, on this note, I'll give you a related story. Uh, this is from the Gospel of American Football, or the Gridiron, as we call it. This is a story that is a few decades old, but it's still a very good one, a very memorable one from uh, American football. Now, this is the Super Bowl. This is the championship game. And the story is of one of the greatest bloopers in Super Bowl history. Now, this particular one, the game was pretty much over. But it's memorable because it gave some entertainment to what otherwise was just a pretty boring blowout win for the Dallas Cowboys over the Buffalo Bills. Now, one of the Cowboys' defensive players, his name was Leon Lett, he received a huge gift. His teammate had just sacked the quarterback. Basically, that means he tackled him, like not a soccer tackle. He literally dragged him down to the ground and then managed to strip the ball which bounced straight to Leon Lett. And under the rules, I'm not going to assume my international audience knows this, he can take the ball and run it all the way to the other side for a score if no one can tackle him. And no one would be able to tackle him because he had nothing but open space in front of him. Now, for someone who plays Leon Lett's position, this is kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing because he was a defensive lineman. These guys weigh at least 300 pounds, so they don't run the ball very often. So this huge guy takes the ball, and he runs about 60 yards, almost to the, to the end zone. And right at the end, when he approaches the end zone, he holds the ball way out from his body, celebrating. <laughs> and then a hustling, much faster player actually chased him down from a very long distance away, knocked the ball away. And now, not only would Leon let not score, this person's team would get the ball back. And this guy, this wide receiver named Don Beebe, he instantly became the darling of every youth football coach in America and has a name that is now synonymous with hustle because he completely destroyed Leon Lett's glorious moment. And Leon Lett let it happen, because he let up, like his namesake. And he was ironically chased down by a man whose name is the same thing as a bullet shot from an air gun. Now, Lett, he thought his job was finished. It was not. He did not run through the tape, as a competitive runner might say. Now, this play is widely available on the internet, but if you're going to search for it, you can't just search Leon Lett. That's Lett with two T's. Because, unfortunately for him, he's known for several bonehead plays. That was just the one in the Super Bowl. Not the Thanksgiving Leon Lett screw-up. You know, that usually actually comes up before the Super Bowl one. So this unfortunate man... He's known for doing dumb things at bad times, not knowing the situation. Not that that's entirely fair to characterize him that way. He had a pretty good career. But 
The fact is he's known almost entirely for these things. But the point is, let's not pick on Leon Lett here because all of us are Leon Lett. We are humans. We celebrate too early. We are heedless of the rules. It's only natural to coast. I've done this myself. I remember one semester at our college newspaper, we had done some great work. I mean, award-winning work. And I had too on a personal level. So it's the last week and the advisor tells us, hey, great work, but we're not done. Run through the tape. Make this your best week. But, you know, you're looking ahead. I was looking ahead. I had internships and story ideas for the new job. So what did I do? I turned in about five paragraphs of just lazy drivel as my final story of the year. I went out with a ridiculous whimper. And I should have been embarrassed about it. Now, I had done my job throughout the year, above and beyond, really. And I used that to rest rather than to continue to get better. And that is exactly what the Quran is warning against here. The Quran is saying that's not enough. It's never enough, really. Keep going and continue to do your duty with the same vigor, the same effort, the same intensity, even when things get easier. Run through the tape, the Quran is saying. You haven't scored until you're actually in the end zone and the referee has his hands in the air. And in the spiritual context, scoring is the end of life. Judgment day. And the more hard work you put in now, the easier the afterlife is going to be. And this works in a Christian context too. You know, store your treasures in heaven. And if you're a Catholic, any effort here on earth can really reduce what needs to be done in purgatory before you enter heaven. And the Quran is also drawing that same parallel. That effort in this life will make the next life easier, at least for those who believe. For those who believe the promise of God through either the Christian or the Islamic faith. And that, at least ideally, should be the motivator, the great promise of religions that foresee judgment followed by eternal life. As the last part of this surah says, strive in devotion, turning to your Lord alone with hope. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Insha'Allah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.